I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy. And I'm Ross. I'm slowly, film by film, taking trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided until now. Welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining mainstream comedies from around the turn of the century. Ross, I was a junior in high school in 1999. To give you some context, um, I was a theater geek running around telling a bunch of teenagers that they should see The Thin Red Line instead of Saving Private Ryan, who claimed my favorite movie of 1999 was The Red Violin, and laughed my way through a packed screening of The Matrix, considering it a huge letdown from Bound. Uh, I had some pretension to me. I think I still do. Uh, Anything that my peers in general liked, I immediately dismissed. And so this carried me through a lot of my 20s. So for the first about decade of the 21st century, I purposely avoided um, almost anything mainstream, especially mainstream comedy. So for several years, you've been chiding me for my lack of knowledge of this genre, encouraging me to watch some of them. I have watched a few over the last year and found them uh, not as bad as I thought they would or maybe enjoyable. Uh, So uh, every week uh, we're going to uncover something that maybe I didn't see, maybe I saw and dismissed. um, But um, we're looking at the uh, early 21st century here. But you insisted we start in 1999. So why are we starting in 1999? Uh, That is a great question, Tripp. And by the way, I have now a vivid image of you. In 1999 right now. The reason I went with 1999 as uh, a start time is really that it seems to be studio comedies start taking a shift. You have like American Pie comes out, which starts kind of a massive revival for R-rated teen sex comedies again. You kind of are starting to see this push of younger stars or, you know, the beginning of stars that will really dominate that 21st century. You look at someone like Will Ferrell starting to really get bigger roles or some of like the teen stars that start coming up at that time. And at the same token, you also have a lot of these reliable comedy stars from the 80s and 90s kind of going through in in the height or starting to end the height of their real power. You got people like Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal, And you also have creators that really pop up in 1999. Uh, You get Mike Judge making his first live-action movie, Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park creators. This just seems like a great kind of time to look at as the gateway to the 21st century. I think that is a great thinking there about it. I don't know if you've made me any more excited about visiting some of these movies, but um, you definitely have uh, have piqued my interest, maybe. Um, Okay, so I'm a junior in high school. You're quite a bit younger than me. Where were you in 99? What was your experience with the movies we're talking about? Uh, also, uh, yes, I'm, I'm a, I'm a scotch uh, younger. I am uh, at the beginning of 1999 in fifth grade. I'm in elementary school. You know, actually, I'm you're not watching the R rated. You're not watching. Yeah. The R-rated yeah. I'm in like no. fourth or fifth grade. So I was not allowed to watch a lot of these movies. I was, I, I was aware of them. I was a kid that was very much into movies. So I, I knew and was aware of a lot of these uh, films, but I was definitely not allowed to watch any of them by my parents. <laughs> um, many of the films that I was going to see, we will not be covering on this podcast. Um, 
And so our listeners are aware, obviously, uh, as we as Trip said at the top, we're doing uh, looking at studio comedies. And so we had to kind of come up with some criteria for what we wanted to look at. So first and foremost, and this seems obvious, uh, the films had to be a comedy in some way. Um, so we will not be covering deliberately, deliberately a comedy. Uh, absolutely. So sorry, no Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace. Um, second, the film had to play in at least a thousand screens during its release. So sadly, that means no John Mal- being John Malkovich or election. That- those also, if you're, if you're going to be schooling me here or however you want to put it, right, those are the movies I saw. Like, I loved being John Malkovich, right? That, those are the sort of pretentious comedies that I was going into. <laughs> We're looking here at, like, mainstream comedies, and I think putting the emphasis on comedy, right? Movies where the jokes come first before anything else. Exactly. For the most part. Absolutely. And finally, uh, we want to not consider kids' movies. Uh, So again, most of the movies I was seeing at this time, not going to be covered on the podcast. So please don't write in saying, where's my favorite Martian or baby geniuses? I'm sorry. Uh, They will not be covered as part of this podcast. Okay. So today we are starting, uh, we're going to move mostly chronologically. So we're going to start in 1999. We are going to move kind of in this first season, if you will, through 1999. We are starting near the beginning of the year with a cultural touchstone. Uh, Probably not a cultural touchstone in 1999 when it came out, but certainly one that became one over the next couple of years. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie in someone's dorm room once, but I have very little recollection of that uh going into the movie um i remembered it mostly for like the slew of memes and hearing people quote it at me for the last 20 some years so where are we headed today ross trip our first exit on this journey takes us exploring the mind-numbing and soul-crushing world of late 90s white-collar office jobs with mike judge's office space Written and directed by Judge, it was based on a series of animated shorts that aired on Liquid Television and Saturday Night Live in the early 1990s. The film takes the spotlight away from Milton, who was the main character in those shorts, and focuses on Peter, a software engineer who despises his job and feels like every day is the worst day of his life. He is hassled by his eight bosses for every mistake he makes, including Bill Lumberg. But... After he's hypnotized in therapy to let go of all of his worries, he engineers a plan with two of his recently laid-off friends, Samir and Michael, to embezzle money from their employer. Peter also begins a romantic relationship with Joanna, a waitress at Tchotchkes, who also seems to hate her job. The film stars Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, David Herman, and Ajay Naidu. So Trip, how familiar were you with Mike Judge's work in 1999? And of course, what is your favorite Michael Bolton song? Well, I'll take the second part first. That's obviously his cover of uh, When a Man Loves a Woman from the early 90s. Um, I, I love that cover. But anyways, um, moving on to the important stuff at hand. Um, I knew Mike Judge. You couldn't be a kid in the early 90s without watching Beavis and Butthead, which was never my favorite, but I was familiar with it. King of the Hill is on air at this point. I was a huge Simpsons fan for a lot of this time. Don't really remember watching King of the Hill too much. But I was definitely um, aware of it, kind of going into this movie. 
As for the movie coming out itself, I have no recollection of this movie coming out, which seems fitting. It made less than $11 million in the box office. It was something of a bomb, but it became one of those like DVD stalwarts. And so by the end of the year, by the next year, it seemed like everybody was renting this movie. Everybody was talking about it. It was kind of all over. I'm sure that by the time I finally saw it a couple years later, I knew most of the jokes. And I have to say, I was trepidatious going into this movie. I do tend to like Mike Judge. I remember some of those Milton cartoons from my Saturday Night Live days in the early 90s, but that is really kind of what scared me about this movie. And maybe let's start with Milton, because I think that he's the reason this movie gets made. They want a movie of Milton. He is a character who I think... Um, is very easy to punch down on. Um, I was very nervous going into this movie of how are they going to treat him? How do you feel they treat Milton in this movie, Ross? Is it fair to him or are they making fun of someone they shouldn't be making fun of? That is a great question. So in the shorts, we should say he's voiced by Mike Judge himself. Mm -hmm. Mike Judge did all the voices and you can find at least one of them on YouTube, which I did yesterday. I watched it. And it really does like get kind of lifted into the movie, mm-hmm. including a character that becomes Bill Lumberg. It's it, it's tough. I I do think they're they lessen his role obviously within this movie so that it's not so heavily just punching down on an individual that could very easily be doing it. But but he's still what people remember of the movie, right? I yes. mentioned to my wife, I'm watching Office Space, and the first thing she said is, where's my stapler? Like, that's <laughs> what people remember from this movie. And, and Stephen Root is fantastic. I mean, he's so good. Anyone else but Stephen Root in this role, I think I would have had a real problem with it. I think that the movie and Stephen Root have a real love for this downtrodden guy. And I don't feel like the movie ever punches down at him. I think the movie is always on his side because Bill Lumberg is such a horrible boss and the movie hates him so much that I was really happy with like the heart that Stephen Root gives him in this, that I was charmed almost immediately by him, Stephen Root, one of our great character actors and um, a man of real range who I think got stuck in this role maybe for a little while. But I thought that the way they treat Milton stands in for, I think, a real heart that this movie has. I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to like it, kind of coming at it all these years later, knowing a lot of the jokes before they come. There's a real kind of charm that Mike Judge brings to this movie, much like he brought to King of the Hill, which I think is also a surprisingly smart and thoughtful character study sometimes, more than some of the other Simpsons knockoffs that we have seen through the years. And so I did. I really enjoyed this. Absolutely. And by the way, we're going to spoil these movies over the course of this. So yep. uh, the big thing also is Milton in the end he does. Cl- gets the He's, money. Is he the... He- is he the hero, maybe, because he burns down the office? I don't know. But definitely there are some uh, some interesting questions. I, I think we'll say, we'll say for Milton, it never explicitly says he does burn down the building, but he does no. seem to leave that building pretty quickly when the fire people show up. And, and he does conveniently end up on a uh, resort island at the end of the movie. 
Um, yeah, with 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 maybe some uh, some money there. So yeah, yeah. You know, I think the interesting thing about Office Space is it it also feels at once it you can watch it and still laugh and enjoy it, but it does also feel a little bit of its time because it it reminds me in looking up some reviews at the time, it gets compared to Dilbert, which it very mm-hmm. much kind of feels like. In the late 80s into the 90s, as these tech companies are becoming bigger, the idea of satirizing that type of office becomes big. And there is an element, and people I saw talk about this too, and it's true, there is kind of a sketch element to this movie. There's kind of like these distinct little like vignettes. Little set pieces. And I like the movie more when it does that. Once, about halfway through the movie, when my judge realizes that a movie needs a story and creates this plot of this heist, the movie lost me a little bit. I didn't love the story. And while you say Milton gets his in the end, and that's true, like this movie is wrapped up by like a deus ex machina, like extra large, you know, oh, like yeah. the supersized version. It is just, it's a little ridiculous how little my judge can cares about the story of this movie but it's still i think a whole lot of of fun especially when it just lets mike judge sit in these little sketches like you said and just lets us sit with this movie so you mentioned obviously Stephen root and milton but i wanted to talk about in general the performances and some of them so besides Stephen root who is one of our finest comedic character actors at this point mm-hmm. he had been on news radio which is an a criminally underrated show from the 90s and plays a very different character. You also have Gary Cole, who, oh my gosh, I, you know... Gary Cole's the MVP of this movie for me. Yeah. I think that he just, he captures something in this that is just, he gets the tone, he is not afraid to, there is not a positive aspect to this character at all and he is willing to go for it and to me is is the highlight of the movie it's so iconic just the way he talks in this movie the delivery he just somehow nails being the smarmy fake caring there's just so many times like not listening there's something to that performance that really works there is a reason why like that character has stood out so much right why we have 10 million clips of him in that character or spoofs of him or why everybody repeats those lines because he really he, he stands out i think because i think ron livingston is fine in this movie the movie is much better when it lets the supporting characters around him shine a little more than I really had much patience for him in here. But I don't know, to Ron Livingston's credit, and it is because you have a character that gets hypnotized to essentially be just the blandest, kind of like no worries guy. And so... I mean, it's the definition of a straight man. He works for that. He's generic. Mm -hmm. There's certain scenes in this movie where that works to a T. When he takes out Jennifer Aniston, who plays Joanna, this waitress at at Tchotchkes, which if you've never seen this movie, think of like a Chili's or Applebee's, but somehow worse. And I love Chili's, but um, (laughs) Jennifer Aniston, he takes her out on a date and he's just so just kind of like... You know, to a level where her reactions are perfect because you as the audience are like that too. So you're just going to stop going to work? Yeah. 
I don't know. Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston, really good in this movie, in kind of a thankless part. And I know that they beefed it up for her when she was cast. It wasn't until after she was cast that they came up with the whole idea of she's not wearing enough pins on her outfit. She sells that too, because there is no reason why she should agree to go out to lunch with him. Um, but somehow Jennifer Aniston makes me believe that. Um, Absolutely. And, it, it, it's um, flair. It's flair trip. We got to get the right terminology. Flare That's what it is. Flair. <laughs> it's flair. Yes. And that is Mike Judge himself, who is the manager. As the boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and, and a really And a really funny, I have to call out, Todd Jaffe. Um, who plays the other waiter there who just goes all in on the uh-huh. flair. Uh, I know many people exactly like that. And he uh, oh. that one really did stand out to me. This um, movie has a lot of people that just show up. I mean, Diedrich Bader, who probably at this point is already on Drew Carey's show as, mm-hmm. you know, Peter's next door neighbor, who's every every time he shows up, I'm happy to see him. You have uh, and the, the running gag the running gag is so funny of him just talking through the wall the whole time. Like <laughs> they set that up in an annoying way, but then pay it off time and time again. <laughs> Paul from Cheers, along with John C. McGinley, who play oh, the yeah. two Bobs, um really funny, I think. Also. Absolutely great. Orlando Jones pops up at one moment. This movie has a lot of people and talented people. And you know, David Herman and Jane uh, Nadu, who I I hope I am I'm saying everyone's names correctly, um, who play Michael and Samir are Mm -hmm. those roles could very easily be kind of like nothing roles. And both of them bring such personality and flair to them. It is fun. Their interactions are great. They are. And the film is at its best when it lets that ensemble shine. This might be something you're going to hear me talk about a lot over the course of this show is that I do. I love a good comedic ensemble and I love a movie that knows how to use that ensemble. And Mike Judge does that in this movie. Um, and he kind of gives everyone their their moments. Even, and I don't have her name in front of me right now, but the lady who plays Nina and has the ongoing, hello, this is Nina, please hold. Hello, this is Nina, please hold. Like such a great little gag uh, um, that captures that is, so much. That is Kina McEnroe, M-C-I-N-R-O-E. I'll spell it so that people can hopefully find her. Um, she, great Yeah, video. she's great. There's so many small jokes to this movie so i guess Mm -hmm. we could kind of combine these two which is the of all those performances that we've listed as these kind of supporting performances which is the one that you think gets like the best supporting for this movie gary cole's your mvp but for kind of this category as we're going to talk about supporting turns i want to go down the call sheet as much as i can and to me the breath of fresh air Right as this movie was starting to lose me, as we're moving into the plot, I didn't really love the story. And in comes Orlando Jones for one scene with this like burst of energy in a part that, and like, I don't really know what we're doing here. And then he turns it and you figure out what the character is. And he's so funny in, in this movie. And I was so happy to see him pop up in here just for that one scene. He's my supporting turn of the movie i love it and and yeah i mean i agree with you on gary cole he's just so good the other person i want to mention who we didn't talk about is richard ryle who plays tom every he's the guy who gets in the car accident yes every time i mean Mm -hmm. it's just from he's the one who knows immediately what's happening and his interview with the bobs (laughs) is one of i I think i quote that so many times i'm a people person 
I'm a people person. So like, what yeah. do you do? And it's like, I take it. Well, I mean, my secretary writes it down. So, and it's such oh. a, it's such an amazing thing. And the jump to conclusion yeah. board. I mean, he's, oh. he's such a, a fun character. That's another one that very easily could have been somebody who you punched down on. He isn't. He's very much this idea of like, okay, we're, we're able to kind of give him, even though he gets hit by a car, he gets a seven-figure settlement. He has like this kind of like, you know. And you cast these really good actors in these parts also who are able to kind of bring this life to these characters who could be really harsh stereotypes in other ways. Um, I think the casting of this movie is, is so smart. Absolutely. Um, what's the what's your funniest moment? What, what oh. is your moment, Ross? I think you like this movie even more than I. You've lived <laughs> with it a lot longer than I have. Um, what 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 is your? Oh man! And I rewatched it again for the first time in a while, actually yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it, there's so many, and there's so many different things. But but I think it it might be the Bob's interviewing Tom. I think it's you know it it's. All of the Bob interviews are such a great kind of like these little sketches. The Michael Bolton that where they go like it, he oh, it's, it's, because we've all been in those situations, oh, right? Yeah. We've all been in those interviews where it's like I don't know where we are going right now, um, and I think Mike Judge captures that perfectly. It's so there's so many of those just kind of like you know, what's your favorite Michael Bolton talking about? I just love the whole catalog. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it is really, really good. I mean, there's so many to name, but I think, I just think those are perfectly encapsulated little sketches that just work so well. What about you? Oh, definitely. So we haven't brought up the printer scene, which I guess I've seen it parodied so many times, you know, including in a presidential campaign a few years ago. But I guess I had forgotten about it in this movie, or maybe I hadn't seen that part. But like the moment it came up, I was like, oh, this is what I've been living with for the last 20 some years. But I don't want to highlight that. I think that the montage before that, they both use Ghetto Boy songs. There's a montage earlier. It's the Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta montage when Ron Livingston comes in and starts taking apart the office and his revolt because this is where the movie surprised me in that it was more than just making fun of an office that I feel like there is something this movie is saying about white guy masculinity, kind of, and the way that my judge uses this music. People I went to high school with who like trying to be gangsters when they're just awkward white people um, was really annoying. And I feel like this movie kind of captures that perfectly of this song that should not be playing. And that this revolution that um, Ron Livingston is leading is the dumbest things in the world. Like, I'm going to, you know, park in someone else's parking spot and take down the banner. And that's my, you know, act of revolt that I think is really, uh, really funny. And that moment just, I found it really funny and also said something that I wasn't expecting the, the movie to say. So the two things that I always think of, you talked about the printer scene. I was actually going to say the funniest part to me about that is actually right afterwards where they go back to their to Ron Livingston's apartment 
and they're just dancing, like having a party celebration. Yes. And it's like the <laughs> most awkward dancing that you can imagine. Oh, they're, ho- they're horrible at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like that encapsulates exactly what you're saying. It's like these are a bunch of kind of nerds. Like they're nerdy guys. Oh, they are. Yeah, to the point where they have to look up laundering in the dictionary. Yes. Like, what does it mean? Like, oh, oh, my yeah. God. It, but it, but uh, to what? It hit home a little too much at sometimes as, you know, an awkward white guy myself. Yes. So, yeah, def- um, definitely. The, um, unfunniest the... moment, um, I just want to throw out there the whole psychiatrist scene just did not click for me. And I really love Michael McShane who plays the uh, psychiatrist in this, but just that whole scene um, and with him dying of a heart attack mid-hypnosis, I understand you needed to get the plot going. I found it kind of tasteless and just really not amusing at all. There, um, anything you don't find funny in this movie or are you just yeah, all uh, over it? The, there's, a, there's a hinting of prison rape jokes it's mm-hmm. it's a little kind of like where you're like mm, that doesn't that doesn't work, um, yeah. And there's a part to this movie that they call itself out on a bit, but not I think enough, which is the fact that he gets angry initially at Jennifer Aniston for what he believes that she slept with Bill Lumberg, and mm-hmm. her response is very valid of like I'm sorry who I slept with beforehand doesn't matter. But that definitely felt a little kind of like, and then it turns out to be another Lumberg yes. to work there, who no one has ever mentioned in the movie before. Like, no. this is where the whole the whole plot just gets in the way, and it's, I really wish he had just he had let it sit there. Uh, yeah, that's definitely. I think that I also, you know, just quickly because I was thinking about this, you talked about kind of the theme that you found very interesting to the movie. I think. The ending to me of Office Space, which I appreciated and found very interesting, is that in the end, I think this movie is about doing or finding something that makes you happy. It's very easy that a movie like this would have taken him, Peter, and at the end of the movie, he would have gotten another another middle management white collar job, which probably would have paid decently well or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he goes to work construction and his friends come by and like, hey, we can get you a job there. And he's like, you know what? I kind of like this. And it's something to the idea of he has finally found something. He's outside. He's happy. Mm -hmm. He seems like such a different person at the end of the movie because he's genuinely doesn't matter, you know, that like I I don't feel like I have to feel some sort of success. I kind of like where I am right now. Hollywood movies don't often make the blue collar job seem like the right job. And that's what it does here, right? That it it embraces the blue collar and kind of shuts down the white collar. And that is, I think that's a really great, really great message. Absolutely. So so Trip, obviously our listeners have have heard what we think of this movie, and we'll save our, our final ratings for the end. But obviously, uh, many people rated this movie at the time and, and or, or have watched it since. Um, so I'm going to ask you, this is a bit of a guessing game here, but we'll try to mm-hmm. do every, every episode here. We like to look at uh, two review aggregating places uh, to see if you can guess the score. We're going to look at Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd. Uh, Rotten okay. Tomatoes, a, a, a standard bearer for a lot of people, and Letterboxd, also a standard bearer, and uh, a website that both of us love very much dearly. Rotten Tomatoes, I know this movie was not really loved when it came out. 
Um, I'm going to guess, though, that some later reviews maybe pushed it up. So I'm going to say Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 65. Okay, so you have it at a 65. We should clarify, so if any of you uh, at home want to play the home game, we are specifically talking about the critics' score for for Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Trip, you are going to be surprised by this. Uh, the Tomato Meter with 102 reviews for Office Space has it at 80%. Oh, wow. That's good. I'm glad certified, to hear Certified fresh. Um, and which uh, is... Letterboxd, people love this movie. <laughs> Right, so I'm gonna guess Letterboxd. We're at like uh, 4.0. Uh, close, close. It's averaged with uh, 1.2 thousand fans at 3.7. So 3. 7. okay, there good. Go. A solid. A I solid... should probably have done some research as to like you know what is a really high Letterboxd rating. That's that is maybe, you know for, for maybe a 4.0 would have made it like the most popular film ever. So I don't know. Yeah, suddenly it is a. Uh, as a, it's now in the letterbox 250 is office space. Um, yeah. So a couple quick uh, reviews that I, I found at the time, just a little quotes here. Uh, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in 1999, I definitely would have known Entertainment Weekly. Big thing for me. I read it every week. Uh, yep, th- cover to was, cover. It was a great, great, great. Uh, he, he said it was, it's like Dilbert rewritten by Kafka. Uh, he did give it a okay. C, though. He did give it a C, so not a big fan, I guess. You know, no. Um, Roger Ebert, never heard of him. Um, of the Chicago Sun Times, uh, he he's kind of My a big town hero here. There we go. Uh, he said Mike Judge's office space is a comic cry of rage against the nightmare of modern office life, and he gave it three stars. Liked it. Okay. You there know. We go. There Ro- we go. Roger, Roger Ebert sometimes, you know, ahead of the rest of his critics on on some of these things. Absolutely. So, so Trip, we've we've now you know heard what the Rotten Tomatoes critics, Letterboxed, and a couple other critics at the time thought. Mm-hmm. What was your final Letterboxed ranking? So, out of five stars, what did you out of give five this? stars? Yeah. Um, I've been teeter tottering here a little bit. I think I'll probably settle on something like a three and a half stars. I really did enjoy this a lot. I think had the story grasped me a little bit more, I might have even pushed it up a little higher. But I think that just some of the plot holes are so stupid that um, I couldn't really, really go there. But but I'd give it a, a good three and a half out of five. I'm assuming you're a little higher than that, Ross. Uh, I, I am a, I'm a scotch higher. I, this is a five-star banger for me. Okay. It's such a foundational kind of comedy for mm-hmm. me in terms of how you do a smart satire, unbelievable quotability of the film. It just mm-hmm. still makes me laugh no matter how many times I see it. And it's kind of exactly what you want. It, yeah, the, the, the plot is ridiculous. They call it out in the movie. Isn't this from yeah. Superman 3? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. But like, you know, and maybe some guys did it in the 70s and one of them got caught. But like, it's fine. Yeah. They they exactly. know it. And But I think there is such a, a an interesting heart to this movie that I don't think a lot of, that we've talked about here, that I don't see from a lot of comedies necessarily mm-hmm. on the same topic. And I think... It's just a very sharp and fun movie that, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what I wanted from it. So, yeah, five stars for me. And somehow in our first episode, you have made me look like some sort of Scrooge. (laughs) 
on a movie that I ultimately liked much more than I would have said I liked. I have I have a so. feeling that we will be closer on other ones. And and to be fair, the main the main thing that everyone should take away from is we both like it. Go see it. Um, yeah, but every... I think I would I would recommend this. I am glad that I went back and revisited it, um, and kind of dis- discovered something here. So yeah. absolutely, something else I think that we want to do every week is share out maybe a recommendation if you liked this something else that is out there. And so I kind of wanted to shout out I think the ultimate workplace comedy, um, and that is Nine to Five. 1980, 81, one of those two, Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, has a lot of similarities to Office Space, um, in which what do you do when you have a horrible boss? How do you act out against them? But I think a movie that maybe gets the story beats a little better than uh, than Office Space, um, and really a foundational film for me. I remember seeing it as a kid. My parents made me watch it. I really loved it. And so if you haven't seen 9 to 5 out there, go check it out because it is something of a classic. Um, Ross, where are you pushing us? Uh, well, I'm one of those people that need to see 9 to 5. Um, and I, I, it's on my watch list. Ross. It's it's on the watch list. It's on the watch list. You're breaking um, my heart here. I know. I know. Um, I went not with a comedy, but a movie that showed where the tech industry eventually is now. And I went with The Social Network. I think you look at, you know, this is supposed to be a software company and you look at eventually like something like the social network, which shows that it went younger and it went darker and it, you know, what the technology (laughs) industry kind of started going down. Um, It's a, it's one of my personal favorite movies. I think that that movie is still somehow so smart in ways in which it saw the future and in which it didn't even see how far it went. It's a, it's a fantastic movie and you should, you should absolutely see it. So next week, I think social network masterpiece. Absolutely. So where are we, where are we headed next week, Ross? Where are you taking me? <laughs> so jump back in the car. We are actually doing two movies next week because we figured, you know what? It's our second episode. We should absolutely do two movies now that we've done one. Um, we are doing She's All That and 10 Things mm-hmm. I Hate About You. So I'm going to ask okay, you, Trope, so... have you seen either one of these? And what do you think they're about? Okay. So, uh, working backwards, 10 Things I Hate About You, I finally saw last year, I think at your encouragement and a couple other of our friends who were like, you have to see it, you have to see it, it came out on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's maybe one of the reasons why I agreed to do um, this ridiculous podcast, because I had never had any interest in this movie, and I watched it last year and really enjoyed it. So, spoiler alert. But um, I think it kind of gave me some hope that maybe there are some undiscovered gems out there for me. So 10 Things I Hate About You, adaptation of uh, The Taming of the Shrew. I'm a big Shakespeare nerd. I'll have lots of thoughts there. But um, I'm excited to uh, to talk about that. She's All That, I think, is something. Um, it's an adaptation of Pygmalion in a high school with some people I think I'm supposed to know, but I have no idea who they are. My assumption is, like, he's a jock. Um, she's a loser probably because she wears glasses and when she takes the glasses off everyone discovers that she's hot 
And so um, that probably, and I'm sure there are all sorts of, you know, um, bad sex jokes filling filling that movie. So uh, that's that's my guess as to what those are about. Am I on the right track? You're 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 definitely uh, you're definitely on the right road there. I would okay. add always the uh, the classic that they would always add in any uh, comedy description, and that, that you mm-hmm. would see in a TV guide. And hijinks ensue. Like <laughs> and hijinks. I, I look forward to some hijinks. And hijinks ensue. So yeah. So tune in tune in next week for she's all that and ten things mm-hmm. I hate about you. In the meantime, if you want to tell me um, how wrong and awful of a human being I am for not giving Office Space five stars, uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at tripburton13. That's T-R-I-P-P-B-U-R-T-O-N 13. Where can they find you, Ross? Uh, You can find me on the Twitters and on Letterboxd at rbratton. R-B-R-A-T-I-N. Awesome. And you can find the show. Uh, we are both on Twitter and Instagram at A-T-T-C-Pod. Or you can email us, and I am uh, sure that we will read those emails, at a trip through comedy at gmail.com. That is trip with two Ps. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, we'll see you all farther along down the road on this trip here. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you to go ahead and come back another time. I got a meeting with the Bobs in a couple minutes.